0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
1: Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. From MPB Think Radio, you're listening to Creature Comforts. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. The black bear in Mississippi have a storied history together dating back to the days of President Theodore Roosevelt and the teddy bear. Dr. Dana Morin, Mississippi State University professor of wildlife biology, is on our show today to share about one of the largest animals found in the state. She'll talk about the current bear population, where they're found, and what to do if you come face to face with one of these mighty creatures. Also, Dr. Major and Libby are here for pet questions and hearing about recent encounters with nature. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Always like to remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursdays, it repeats every Saturday morning at six. So good morning, Libby. Let's start with you. uh, What's been going on in your yard here lately?
2: Uh, the nighttime activity has kind of taken over our lives. We've got synchronous fireflies. And um, I think that maybe tonight or tomorrow night might be just the best night of all. And uh, a reminder, uh, people can go and see them at the Craftsman's Guild the cent- or the Craft Center. It's you know run by the Craftsman's mm-hmm. Guild out on Rice Road in the Jackson area. If you go online and get a ticket... Tonight, there's a a party and music and food and lots of things going on, which I'm sure the fireflies are going to (laughs) enjoy, and I hope the firefly (laughs) watchers will also enjoy. And then uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights, there are guided tours of fireflies, so there's a volunteer there to tell you what you're seeing. Even if you want to find your own fireflies on your farm or whatever, you know, any any woods that you have close by, that's a great thing to do. But it helps to go and see these first so you know what you're looking for and mm-hmm. get a feel for it. And, uh, there, of course, there are other species of fireflies besides just these snappy sinks, the ones that flash synchronously. are uh, They've emerged just recently and um, have just a few nights, you know, to flash and find a mate so that's the one that um, I think people are most interested in. But there's lots of treetop flashers and those, uh, the early evening ones, the Big Dippers, they've started coming out. So there's a lot of firefly activity. Slow glows are really have turned into my favorite thing lately. They're the ones that just light up and have a pale, kind of like a little pale night light, and mm-hmm. they travel with their light on for a little ways. Stop and then travel with their light on a little way. So you get kind of a dashed line across your vision. And uh, I think they're real neat. So they're almost floating. They, f- they fly so slow. And then in contrast, the snappy sinks are going a snap a minute, and they're all, you know, looking for each other or finding each other and blinking together. So uh, they're kind of fast and showy, and then those slow glows are in the background taking their time, being chill. So that's all fun. Um, Also looking a little bit for cicadas because people have been reporting this is not a year for a big emergence Mm -hmm. of cicadas. You remember the the noisy little Mm cool guys that look like they're from outer space? There are always a few that their internal clock's wrong. You know, I'm sure it's a disappointment when they they hatch and the crowd's not there. But uh, it's kind of interesting to see. And so, um, people online have been reporting. You know, the the um, so they're we have an annual uh, cicada anyway. We need to do another show, and they're going to come out every year anyway. But then the um, the periodic cicadas come out, you know, on a schedule. And every now and then they get their schedule wrong. So they may be coming out this year. We'll see in how many numbers. But we know that some are coming out already because people are seeing the periodic cicada. The easiest thing to do is go online to see what the difference is, to see how different they look. Because there's several species that you could find and they all look a little different. But make a similar cool sound that you can learn pretty easy from, again, from something online. I always and our like birds to, are still around. On the uh-huh.
1: cicadas, I always like to put human things to animals, and you're right, so it's kind of like you're a surprise party. Surprise! Oh, wait, where is everybody? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. They start singing and realize they're all by themselves. The chorus is not here. Yeah. So, um, also, hummingbirds, I still have... I think I had only four this morning. Yesterday we had six or eight all day. So they're still, I think, still moving through. I don't think I'll get that many to nest. Usually I have a couple of nests that will stay all through the, you know, a couple of pair that will stay and nest all through the summer. And um, let's see, I still have the prothonotaries and the perulas we heard this morning. And uh, summer tanagers, a lot of those. Uh, orchard Oreos. I haven't seen a Baltimore Oreo for the last few days, so I don't think I'm going to get any to nest, and I hoped that they would, but they've um, moved on a little further north, I guess. So um, we've been having a good time. Oh, tomorrow night I do want to mention, too. Now, it, tonight and for the last for the next four nights, there'll be Firefly stuff going on at the Craftsman's Guild in Jackson. And then um, on Friday night, there is Moonlight Music and Meteors at the Museum of Natural Science. And I think it's a pretty cool thing. It's a a cooperative um, program by the Mississippi Symphony Orchestra, Mm -hmm. the Museum of Natural Science, LaFleur's Bluff State Park, and the Astronomers Club. So there will be music and possibly meteors, for sure, lots of <laughs> wonderful stars. And this is going to be uh, there's not a bright moon tonight, so which means we'll get to see more star activity. And there's some really cool things going on with the planets, and you know, which show up as really bright stars, But Venus and Mars, I know I saw last night, but I'm looking forward to going to that Friday and finding out what else I've been looking at.
1: I want to talk about something that happened in Pearl, I think, last night, but let's uh, bring Dr. Major into the conversation as well. So uh, good morning, Dr. Major. This is the time of year when uh, humans begin to worry about mosquitoes being more of a problem. What about with our pets? What should we think about or worry about or be concerned about with mosquitoes?
0: Well, of course, the number one thing we think about is uh, spread of heartworm disease. Uh, You know, it's one of those things that... uh, All of our dogs need to be on heartworm preventive. There's a multitude of different kinds. There's some that are topical. There's some that are oral. And there's some that are injectable. And whatever might fit into your uh, ability there. But uh, they're all good if administered properly. You know, the mosquitoes, uh, we have mosquitoes year-round, but they're about to make a surge, I think. I don't know whether you've noticed more or not, but uh, they're about to make a surge. There are some things that you can do. Uh, certainly, you can hire professionals that uh, can help uh, with the yard. I hesitate spraying anything too strong. Libby would agree with that—that uh, that it might affect other other creatures. Yeah. Uh, and there's some things that can actually hang up and do quite well. Uh, they attract the, uh, the mosquitoes, and we use those here. Uh, to uh, cut down on the number of mosquitoes that we have when we're walking dogs and this sort of thing.
1: So are they as attracted to our pets, dogs, and cats as they are us trying to get their blood meal?
0: Absolutely. They're looking for anything that's got blood, (laughs) anything that's got blood. And, of course, uh, if you've got your shorts on or whatever and uh, just you give them an ample place to... um, to feed, mm-hmm. uh, and you say, "Well, my dog's got a lot of fur on it. it, it, it you know, it's just, they can't get to it, but they can. They, you can have right on the nose or around the eyes. But the mosquitoes—they're they, pretty voracious when they they get started. They can they can uh, find find a blood meal on most any animal, and that includes wild animals as well."
1: And so uh, we'll wrap up this segment with something in the news. Last night, police in Pearl had their hands full with an alligator trying to cross Highway 80. They helped the gator by blocking traffic and making sure it had a safe passage. The reptile was spotted at the Pearl-Flowwood line. Mississippi Wildlife Fisheries and Parks currently working to relocate the gator. So, Libby, I, we were trying to figure out where exactly the Pearl Flowwood line is, and I think it's that the intersection of Highway eighty and forty nine, and that's right near the Pearl River. So, the fact that they would see an alligator there is not too unusual.
2: No, yeah, that's. I'm sure the alligator regrets that <laughs> that trip up the hill, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, not unusual. I think that they would find them that close. Just. But you um, know this,
0: this- this time of year, Libby, uh, a lot of the young gators are on, have been driven out of their location ah. by a larger gator, and they'll be looking for more. But there's plenty of water in that area, not just the river, but small lakes, ponds. And there's there's plenty of places for gators to be.
2: Yeah. So, they're they've probably always in those backwaters, and they just happen to go ahead and get up on the pavement yeah. this time. And it may be. Um, Looking for a little warmth last night, crawled up on the, on the dark, warm pavement, and uh-oh.
1: But, uh, Dr. Major, you might be right, the picture I saw, and I'm not a great judge of gator size or whatever, but this did look on the smaller side. so the fact that maybe it was kind of a younger one pushed out of wherever he was. But the good news is uh, it got safely across, and as I said, uh, the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks were working to relocate the gator, so hopefully he'll, he'll find a happy home. So our guest for this hour is Dr. Dana Morin, professor of wildlife biology at Mississippi State University. Dr. Morin, thanks for joining us uh, on the show. Um, We did get a caller who left a message, so maybe we could start with this, asking about um, relocating bears from Tennessee uh, to Mississippi. Uh, Do you know anything about that? Uh, Efforts in the past have, have tried to do that?
3: Uh, I know that that hasn't happened. (laughs) Uh, So there, yeah, it's interesting. Um, So different states have approached um, black bear population recovery in different ways. So Louisiana um, and Arkansas both had reintroductions from bears from Minnesota. Um, But uh, in Mississippi, Mississippi made the intentional decision that they were going to allow their population to recover on its own. So Mississippi bears um, have been recovering. But they're all coming from um, adjacent states, coming across the Mississippi River or coming across the Pasigula, um from the Mobile Bay population. population. Um, so I'm not sure what the caller has heard from, but I, but I would say that, no, we haven't had any re, re, relocations from Tennessee.
1: And uh, Libby and I were chatting about this before, uh, d- during the break, and it would seem to me that the Mississippi's approach seems to be, maybe in the long run, a better one. You, you would want to sort of encourage bears to come here naturally as opposed to you know shipping them maybe they didn't want to move from tennessee to mississippi yeah
3: exactly well we you know we're, we're fortunate we've benefited from the the uh, relocation efforts from the other states for for sure so you know as the populations have become pretty strong in louisiana we start to see more and more bears in in the southern part of mississippi coming from those populations um but it's been it's really it's neat from an academic perspective and a conservation perspective too because you get to study how a carnivore population does recover naturally um and so so that's been really interesting from my perspective
1: so you've been our guest for a number of times uh, one of the times that we visited with you we talked about coyotes so before we yes. begin uh, things with black bears tell us how the coyote population in mississippi is faring
3: i think it's probably fine yeah <laughs> um they you know they they're not a they're not a particularly high density population and they're a fur bear species so um so they they can be trapped or hunted um, but it's there, there's no signs that it's increasing or decreasing. It seems like it's just a, a stable population of coyotes, which is what you expect once they reach a certain density.
1: All right, and uh, when we talk about bears, what, what was uh, first interested you? How did you get involved with uh, studying them?
3: So my actual, my first experience, so I've, you know, I've worked in a lot of locations. I was working on bobcats and coyotes um, for most of my career in the field um, before I did my Ph.D. and then during my Ph.D., <laughs> And I would interact with, I would see bears, and bears were obviously in a lot of those areas in Colorado and Virginia um, where I was working in Maine. Um, And so, uh, I was always interested in black bears, but the I, I had other other interests that I was working on at that time. And then when I finished my PhD in Virginia, I actually my first job after that was working on a population study of Andean bears in Ecuador. So the first bears I actually got to work with were in Ecuador. Um, And then when I came back uh, and and started um, working here in Mississippi, um, I really was just fascinated by the black bear population here in the recovery. And I've been fortunate to get to work with um, black bears now with multiple state agencies. So I'm working with North Carolina, Maine, Michigan, um, and Montana as well on on their black bear populations.
1: Uh, So do you have an active research program happening? And if so, uh, tell us a little bit about that.
3: I do, yeah. So uh collaborating with MDWFMP, I currently have two master students, Spencer Daniels and Lindy Gasta. Um and they're actually out trapping right now for uh for Black Bears with Anthony Ballard, who's the the new Black Bear program coordinator. Um so they're in the southwestern part of the state. Um we're trying to get a better handle the, the um, on what's going on in that part of the state um because there's been a lot of work. We have a pretty good idea of what's happening in the Delta. That's where the, the where we had the highest concentration of black bears early on. And so there has been some previous work done there. And now we're really trying to get a better idea of what's going on now that the Tennessee and Three Rivers populations in Louisiana are getting much larger and we're starting to get more and more reports of black bears in the Southwest part of the state. So we've got a couple different efforts going um, we're trapping and collaring bears um, and then we do uh we'll follow up on den checks on the females so we can get some reproductive rates we'll count how many cubs they ha- they have and take some other inf- uh, information when we 're doing those den checks um, and then we're looking at um, we're also looking we're really interested in what the males are doing now because when a population starts to expand, um, typically you'll see males wandering around first in new areas, uh, before you'll start getting females, um, reproductive females showing up. And so we're getting a lot of reports of black bears now and and all over the state, quite honestly, mostly in the, the late summer and early fall, um, and so we really want to get an idea of where those bears are coming from. Um, we don't think they spend a lot of time in in some of those areas in the central or northern part of the state. But it, we're really interested: are they coming from, you know, from that Mobile uh, Bay population? Are they coming from the north, northern Alabama population? Are they coming from? Um, are they coming from the Delta and, and starting to expand from there? Are they coming from the southern part of the state and, and the southern part of Louisiana? So, so the second thing we're doing is we're putting out hair snares and. Um, And so we're looking we're looking for people in the eastern part of the state that might be interested in um, that that see bears on their property that might be interested in having a hair snare site on their property, um, because we're trying to get we'll we'll collect the genetic information from the hair. And from that, we can tell what populations these bears are coming from.
1: Um, So when you do the the capture and the tag, obviously, I guess there's some way that you subdue the bears uh, temporarily so that you can put the collar on them. But then how how many do you tag? How do you determine, you know, adults, male, female, that sort of thing to, to tag?
3: Part of it is just available funding, right? So um, how, many, how many collars can we afford? They're, they're GPS collars, so they communicate via satellite um, and give regular locations of where the bears are. Um, and that can be kind of expensive. But right now we're aiming to have, um, I think we've got seven or eight bears on the air right now. We're aiming for a total of 20, uh, 10 females and 10 males to get started. And then we'll add to that um, in the future.
1: This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We've got a caller on the line, and it is our friend Mike who calls in from Hernando. Good morning, Mike. You're on the air with us.
0: Good morning. A question, please. Um, <clears throat> I'm in DeSoto County. I'm a journalist up here, right, for our paper. And I've wanted to do a story on a mountain lion that's up here. But I'm interested in bears because I grew up in Utah. And I was wondering if there are any black bears in DeSoto County uh, I, I want to do a story on one. I'd love to see one get a photo. Is there any resource I can go to to try to find out if they're here, where they are, and how I might get close enough to one to do a story on the black bears that are in DeSoto County?
3: So yes, absolutely. There's a resource you can go to. Um, there is uh, the MDWFMP, Mississippi Department of uh, Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, has a fantastic website for the black bear program. And on it, there's a big um, a big link that you can click on that tells you uh, um, that gives a map of all of the the bear sightings from 2016 to current. And they have a black bear. They have a page for black bears, or they have multiple pages for black bears. It's a really great resource. Um, and they have a link on there that will connect you with a map that has all of the recent bear sightings.
1: All right, Mike, thanks for the call. Good to hear from you this morning. Uh, so, um, you know, we talked about in the uh, in the opener about uh, face-to-face encounters with a bear. And so, uh, Dr. Marn, is that something that would probably happen? How likely is that to happen, A? And B, if it does happen, what's the best way to handle that situation? <laughs>
3: So all of my I, so all of my encounters with uh, free ranging black bears, I've only seen usually the tail end of them as they've been running away. So usually um, <laughs> it would be coming over a, a hill or something like that, and and maybe coming coming upwind from the bear, and, and uh, they don't they don't hear you they don't they don't smell you right away. And so um, yeah, usually the surprise on both our parts, and they and they run away. Um, if you do encounter a bear that's behaving. Um, is more is more bold Um, you want to look big and you want to look aggressive so you know we'll train people like if you're wearing um, a a coat to lift to lift it up to to make yourself look bigger Um, with black bears they really do they unless they're incredibly habituated which we're fortunately fortunate in the sippy we haven't had a lot of that occur yet unless they're unless they're really um, you know becoming problematic because they're being fed by people or things like that um, that then they usually are going to run away from you so, but the best thing to do is to make yourself look big, but also to, to back up and give the bear some space. So it can, it, it can go away if you've, if you've, if you've come across it in an area where maybe it doesn't have a lot of options to move away from you.
1: So remind us how big are these bears? What would be a typical, say adult bear size wise?
3: It's funny. It really depends on where you are in the, in the U S. Um, so, but here probably 200, 300 pounds is about as big as you're going to get in Mississippi right now. Um, But we also have a project in North Carolina where they have bears that get close to 800 pounds.
1: Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio, and today we're visiting with Dr. Dana Morin, and we're talking about black bear. So if you want to join the conversation, you can email animals at mpbonline.org. So, Dr. Moorman, the black bear program started in 2002. Is estimated there were less than 50 bears residing in the state. What is the health of the black bear population now?
3: It's definitely been growing. So that's a, that's a question we're trying to answer. And we should have um, a good idea of what the density is or what the abundance is by the end of this year. So for the first few years of the project, um, we were working um, pretty intensively on doing the hair snare effort. So we put barbed wire around trees and when um, bears cross the barbed wire they leave that hair um, like a tuft of hair and we can get dna from the follicles of those hairs Um, and we are collaborating with louisiana and arkansas um, and on that project to get a, a density estimate for the lower mississippi alluvial valley but we think there's probably somewhere you know we'll anywhere between 150 and probably 300, 350 bears right now. But uh, we'll, have, we'll have a much better estimate of that uh, sometime in the next year.
1: And I'd, I'd have to give props to whoever created the hair snare. That sounds really fascinating. It seems like, you know, it, a, a large bear brushing against something and leaving a little tuft of hair behind doesn't seem like it would inconvenience them too much, but it gives you a lot of information, I guess.
3: It does. What's really neat, we can get. Well, it's it's just fun with the pictures of it too, because we'll 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 create what we call corrals. We'll wrap it around several trees, and then we'll hang um, a little bag with a donut inside of it, and because so, bears love day-old donuts, it turns out. So, um, so you get some great pictures of, of the, the 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 bears, and sometimes the cubs crossing in. But yeah, they it doesn't seem to bother them, um, and it, yeah, it gives us a, a ton of information. So. One of the big things that we're trying to figure out with population is not just how many there are, but how fast it's growing. And that's really gonna depend on a couple different population level factors, like um, how many bears are coming in from these other states, from Arkansas down the White River um, and from Louisiana, from those recovering populations. And then also, are we starting to get more bears from from the Eastern states um, adjacent to us? Um, And so we can get immigration rates, um, how many bears are coming into the population, uh, we can get whether it's a male or female because that's really going to be helpful in determining how the population is going to grow, um, and then we can get how many there are. And we can we can even get things like um, uh, population growth over time if we do this repeatedly. So we can get it's it's increased at one percent, two percent, something like that. Um, so yeah, so it's it's a, it's incredibly useful. So it's and it's it's nice too because it gives students a lot of opportunities to participate. Um, because you don't have to, you don't have to go through a ton of training, right? I, we we give you some training on how to handle the genetic samples and how to construct the hair snares well, so you'll get a good sample. Um, but it's been it's been great. We've been able to send out technicians, including Mississippi State uh, undergraduates, to be able to go out and um, set up these hair snares and collect. So it's a great educational opportunity too.
1: So what do you think the biggest misconception that people have about, about black bears?
3: Well, oh, that's interesting. In 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 the state here. <laughs> um, so I would say here, uh, most people aren't aware they, that they're here in Mississippi. I often will have people and I, you know, I'll tell people that I work with black bears and they'll say, oh, but you must work in other states because we don't have them here. And we do. They're here. They're here in Mississippi, which is exciting. Um, but and I think other places, people people always have some f- sort of feeling towards black bears or towards bears in general, you know, um, and and it it either can be intense fear. There are people that think we're absolutely crazy for wanting to trap black bears, um, but there are other people that that, all, that may kind of see it as a like as they have a, a, some sort of connection to them, right? So kind of like a spirit animal or something like that. And both of those are mis you know misperceptions. Um, but the the more dangerous one is actually the ones where people feel that they're connected to them in some way, because that in other states has led to some pretty substantial problems with um with black bears being fed and becoming bold um and where where those bears end up having to be removed because they become a danger
1: uh, i think we got a couple email questions java do you have that for us uh yes we just got an email from uh, tim in illinois and he had two questions um do black bears hibernate in winter um in mississippi also how difficult is it for bears to cross the mississippi river
3: All right. I will start with the first one. Um, They go, it turns out once you collar them that they go back and forth over that river pretty easily. (laughs) So, so they're, they're, they're good swimmers. They might, they might end up a little farther down river on the other side than, than, than they're not swimming maybe straight across, but uh, they, they do cross pretty readily. Um, The, the first question is really interesting. I, I, am I'm fascinated by, by black bear hibernation because it, it's, there are so many similarities across their range and then also these, you know, nuanced differences based on where they are. But hibernation is triggered by both photo period, so how much light there is available during the day, um, and then also by uh, lack of food resources. So um, so it's, it's natural or it's kind of innately in, – in, it's, it's predetermined in their, in their genetic makeup that they're going to hibernate. And bears are, bears are really interesting because they're so large-bodied when they hibernate. That they really can decrease their metabolic rate quite substantially, um, but it's not so much like they sleep, right? That's they they do sleep, but it's not like they're in a um, a coma or anything like that. They what there's a there was an interesting study in Alaska where they showed that even there, when it was really you know in an area that's really cold where there's a really long winter, um, they get up and move like kind of change position every every two days or so. Um, smaller bears do so more often. Um, so they drop their metabolic rate and they drop their respiration. They, and they, they, they go into this kind of state of torpor. Um, but they're still, they're still, you know, when, when we go and do the den checks, those females are aware we're there, you know, (laughs) it's a, and so in Mississippi, it's a little different, um, in that I, I, we don't, I, I think that the males probably slow down a little in the winter, but there's not really a big reason for them to have to, to truly hibernate, um because there's so much food resources available on the landscape and especially now with um with things like um baiting with corn um that's that's why we think we're seeing a lot of these movements in the fall um is we get you know we'll get regular pictures of bears at um from hunters on their game cameras um at their bait sites because the, you know there's an easy attractant for them to come in and so uh so yeah so I, the the females with cubs certainly do they can also move their dens um, during during the season. So it's not it's not a true um, like deep sleep, but they definitely do den up.
1: And, and you're right. I mean, that part of that is uh, obviously they have to be somewhat aware of their surroundings to protect against any. I mean, I don't know. There are a whole lot of predators of black bears, but there, there must be some. So
3: there like- are for cubs, It's int- especially for females with cubs, because they're in they're in kind of a a more um, defenseless state when they're slowed down like that. Um, there was a really cool study in Washington state. They've been doing, um, they've been studying the den ecology up there for probably two decades now. Um, and they put cameras up. They, 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 when they're doing their den checks now, they don't need to get um, as much information on those cubs. So they they'll go identify a den of a collared female, and then they'll put cameras up around so they can just count how many cubs come out. Um, But what they've also been documenting are these very cool interactions with other species. So, um, and almost every species will come and kind of investigate a bear den, right? Like, so they had mountain lions that were showing up on their cameras and kind of like putting their head up in a, in a tree, like looking, looking in the den where you know the den is or, or other, other bears, you know, um, with uh, male male bears would come by and kind of, you'd you'd see an interaction between the female and the male, but especially coyotes actually. So, um, so they found that the, and that what one of them was a really neat documentation of like a coyote came and kind of investigated a den. And then later that day or the next day, the female actually moved the cubs to an, a a nearby den hmm. um, that, that, and sometimes they'll have that. Sometimes they'll have more than one den site um, within, you know, like that they use for the, for the winter. And sometimes the yearlings, so that the, the, the cubs will stay with the mother for two years. They have a biennial uh, breeding cycle um, and that second year, they're yearlings, and they will sometimes den in a, in a nearby area um, instead of directly with the female.
1: So, uh, what are they up to uh, this time of year? What's their activity level uh, as we enter the summertime?
3: I'd say they're getting up and getting frisky. Yeah, so they are, um, <laughs> yeah, we're we're starting to approach when, when they when they'll have when they'll when they'll start looking for mates. Um, so, you know, this time of year is great. They're getting up. There's tons of food resources available for them. Um, They really do. They they eat a lot of um, a lot of vegetation, a lot of um, berries and then hard mast in the fall. Um, Even, you know, like new growth on trees um, can have a lot of nutrients and and, um, resources for them. Um, We've seen we've had documentation of eating palmettos, um, things like that. So so they're they're moving around. They're hungry. So hibernation, they don't. They, they maintain, but they, they wake up and, or they come out of it and they're usually or come out of their torpor and they're usually pretty hungry. So they're moving around a lot looking for food. Um, and then over the summer is when mating occurs. And so um, males and females will um, they'll they'll meet up, uh, but they'll, they'll they'll you know, a male might find a female and they might spend a couple days together. Um, and then the male, the female eventually tends to push the male away. Um, and then another male might come by. So so females might might breed with multiple uh, males and males can breed with multiple females. Um, but what's interesting on American black bears is that the um, the embryos don't implant right away. They have delayed implantation so the the embryos won't implant until the female dens up and starts to slow down. And then and then she'll start then they'll start to develop an uterus and uh, and she'll have the cubs while she's um, quote unquote hibernating in mm. the den.
1: Um, you know, a lot of uh, animals, the males put on some sort of special show or, you know, kind of show off, as it were, to females. Do do bears do anything like that?
3: Yeah, we're getting some really interesting footage. There's a project at Virginia Tech that's a, in my old research lab where I did, where I did my degree, um, where we put um, GoPro cameras on the collars of the bears when we collared them. Um, and so, and it takes about, uh, I think, it, if I remember correctly, it was taking about 10 or 20 seconds of video footage every few minutes or maybe once an hour. Um, And so you get like this snapshot of what a bear is doing for about 20 seconds every hour or so. Um, And so we were able to really, there's a a grad student there, uh, Brogan Holcomb, who is finishing up her master's looking at the reproductive kind of behaviors of bears um, from all of that data. Um, And they definitely like, there's, it, there's play that occurs really more so than anything. It's, it's it's not so often that we'd see interactions among males competing, but just more trying to impress or um or 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 you know get the female to tolerate them, quite honestly. So <laughs> and then and then eventually you get the you get footage of the female kind of snapping at the male or whatever, and then you won't see that male with her anymore on footage. So <laughs>
1: She tells him when it's time to go. That's pretty funny. She does. Yeah, there's like a
3: tolerance period, and then and then that ends. So, yes.
1: You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. Our guest for the hour is Dr. Dana Morin from Mississippi State University. Now, now Dr. Major, I assume that you've never gotten a black bear in the clinic, but have, do you ever have any bear encounters that you would tell us about?
0: No, I haven't. Uh, and uh, I've seen, you know, seen some bears in the wild but never never an encounter as such
1: that that might be a good thing (laughs) probably so probably so
0: i I don't anticipate anybody bringing a bear into the clinic to be checked out (laughs) i I think that would be (laughs) be a cause to not do it anyway (laughs)
1: Uh, we're visiting with our guest, Dr. Dana Morn. So, Dr. Morn, um, what about uh, habitat? You mentioned dens. What's, uh, what is, what What does the ideal uh, black bear den look like, and what 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 is their habitat?
3: Again, that tends to really vary on where where you are. But Mississippi had a really robust black bear population in the 1800s into the early 1900s, um, because they do really well in that bottomland hardwood forest, and so those big cypress trees that um, that become hollow um, as they get older, the, things like that. Those are really great den sites for bears. But a lot of those with, you know, with forestry and agriculture are gone now. And so what we see is that oftentimes they'll also, they'll den in brush piles or they'll dig out um, underneath the roots of trees or things like that. So they can get really creative. And again, it, it also just depends on where you are and, you um, you know, talking to people in, uh, in Alabama that are working on the population there, they see a lot of, yeah, like kind of just right at the base of trees, just um, just at, uh, creating dens there. Um, but, you know, in, in other areas, they're almost consistently always in these kind of large tree, large trees, like up in the tree. So, so my students all got to do, um, you know, climbing training. So um, for the dens um, this year, I think two or three of them were in trees, and then the remainder were kind of in like back in this kind of like really big brushy areas where they've got dens. So,
1: so, you know, I think the, you mentioned they're good swimmers. I think that would surprise a lot of people. And I, I guess obviously they're good climbers as well. And that's, that's something that I'm sure a lot of people probably don't realize.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. One of my, one of my favorite encounters for myself with a bear, a good, good encounter um, was in Virginia when I was um, I was working up there and I I started. I, I kept hearing the snapping sound, and I couldn't figure out where it was coming from. And I looked up into this maple, and there was a, a a small black bear up there. I was just sitting up there eating up in the like the leaves, the the new growth in that maple tree. So, and then and the females will frequently kind of rest or daybed near trees because um, that's the easiest way for again cubs are the most susceptible to predation, and so. Um, so that's the easiest way for them to escape is to be able to climb up into those trees.
1: Seems like uh, when I visited, my brother lives in Northwest Florida in Pensacola, and it seems like one of the times when I went down there recently, there was a, a black bear cub that got uh, was in a in a tree somewhere and created quite quite a stir.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, they definitely will. And the, and the Florida Florida has a um, has a large population now. Quite honestly, um, they've had some issues with not being able to implement harvest, and so now they're they're having to do a lot of work with hazing and stuff instead. Um, but yeah, and one thing to, to I guess it's important to point out is that the the cubs and the mother won't necessarily always be seen together. Much like when you come across a fawn, it doesn't mean the mother's abandoned it. Um, and so you want to let them be if you find a cub um, because the mother is 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 very likely nearby. Another thing that's kind of neat about black bears and and grizzly bears we've we've documented as well is that if something does happen to the mother. Frequently or or we know that um, if another female black bear encounters that cub, um, they may adopt it essentially mm-hmm. so um so and we we've used that before when we've had females that were say hit by a vehicle or something like that and and they were um, and we knew there was cubs there um, we we will foster not in Mississippi but in other states we've done fostering um, where we'll take the cubs and we'll um, and we'll locate them with a female that's in her in her den that we already have collared. Um, and the joke is that bears can't count because they'll go they'll go down with two cubs and wake up with three and they just take care of all three. So. <laughs> it's
1: like where'd that one come from? All right, come exactly. on along. <laughs>
3: yeah. Very strong maternal instinct on them. So.
1: We've uh, got a caller on the line, so let's say good morning to Kathy, who called in from Pilahatchie this morning. Go ahead, Kathy. You're on the air with us.
4: Okay, um, so I went out a couple of weeks ago into my garage one morning. And the garage had been closed, um, and laying on my doormat was a bat. Um, and it was a strange-looking bat. It was orange, orangey-red.
2: We do um, have a red bat, yeah. You uh, do? Okay. Yeah, there is a red bat in Mississippi. Uh, and Dana may have to jump in here if she knows more about it. But did the bat, did it get up? What did it? It
4: it, it seemed as though something was not quite right Mm -hmm. with it. It was curled. It was curled like in a little ball. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what I did is I took it outside. I I just picked up the doormat and kind of moved it, and he didn't move. So I I took the mat outside and put it under a tree, and. He you know, he still didn't move, so I, I went on to do something else, and I came back a little later, and his wings were all spread out. I mean, you could even see the veins in his wings. Mm-hmm. He was just a strange-looking creature. Um, so my husband just told me, he said, we need to take him over to the woods and the wood line, and, and that's what I did. I just put him over there,
2: um, and when I went back, he was gone later that day. Um, yeah, either I something it predated left. it, or yeah, and um, they'll
3: frequently get up though. Like they, they can they can become torporous and cold. So it sounds like he might have been trying to warm himself back up or warm itself back up. And they can, they. I've had I uh, there was a a bat even on campus that um I've I've had all my rabies vaccinations, so I got asked to go out and and and, and move it. But I when I moved it, it was it was cold. It was laying on the on the um, sidewalk, and when I moved it, when I went back and checked on it. About an hour later, it w- it was gone, and there was no signs that anything else had been there. So I think I think they can just
2: yeah. kind of recover from that from that cold or that torpor, and then and then fly away. Yeah, well, you did the right thing afraid. by moving the mat and yeah, giving it some yeah. Space. Don't pick it up yourself.
4: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean I was afraid too that he would fly at me, but um, I just kind of jiggled the mat at first, and he didn't move, but. Um, Anyway, I just I don't know how he even got in the garage because, like I said, it was been closed all night, um, and I've not I don't even haven't even seen any bats where we are. But but uh, anyway, you know they're
2: pretty prevalent, and uh, you tend not to see them. I mean they're they're flying at night when you're busy doing something else, or even when you're asleep if it's late enough. So they, um, you know, there's really no reason for you to encounter it too often.
1: All right, Kathy, thanks for your call. Let's get one final call in the hour, and it goes to Rachel, who calls us from Eupora. Good morning, Rachel. You're on the air, so go ahead.
4: Good morning. Uh, I would like to know if bears in Mississippi are protected.
3: That's a great question. Yeah, they are. So the Louisiana black bear was listed federally as an endangered species until 2016 and the population there it's been a real success story the population there um, has recovered to the extent that they were able to delist it but bears in mississippi um, at the state level are still listed as endangered
1: thanks rachel for your call um so um if someone spots a black bear when they're out and about maybe hiking or out in their land or whatever is there a place that they would or should uh, report the sighting to
3: yeah. Please tell us about it. Yeah. Uh, so um, Anthony Ballard is the, the, the current um, Black Bear program uh, coordinator and he's, and he's, he's done a great job. Um, both he and Richard Rummel, who was there previously have done a great job with the website for uh, mdwfp.com and you can report your, your sightings there. And if you're in an area where we're currently um, working or trying to trap, there's a very good chance that Anthony will follow up with you <laughs> to try to find out more about that. And if you'd be willing to help us with, um, uh, with letting us have access to your land, either set up a hair snare corral or set up some cameras or um, or even potentially uh, set up a culvert trap to see if we can capture a bear out there. Um, the counties we're currently very interested in are Adams, Amit, Claiborne, Kapaya, Franklin, Jefferson, Lincoln, Pike, and Wilkinson. So um, especially if you're in that area, but Uh, We're we we are really trying to get a handle on how black bears are moving around the state and where the populations are growing. And so, yeah, any any reports or sightings on the MDWFP website would be really helpful.
1: And I guess with a lot of wildlife, you don't want to ever try to feed a bear or sort of do anything that might habituate it to humans.
3: Absolutely not. Yeah. uh, The the saying is a fed bear is a dead bear. Um, They become they become habituated. They're very smart. Um, and they have a very they can become bold very quickly Um, and then that and they and they are they are large they have big claws they have teeth Um, so they can be they can become a a danger and we do have you know there's a couple bear attacks every year around the U.S. usually in these higher density populations Um, but it can be it can be really problematic for for you and your neighbors if you were to feed a bear.
1: All right, that is going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio with funding provided in part by listeners. To hear today's show or a previous show, you can visit creaturecomforts.mpbonline.org. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Abram Nanny. It's For Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest, Dr. Dana Moran. and I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned because up next, it's AutoCorrect. We'll be back next Thursday night for another Creature Comforts heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.